gets outside. He's got speed. 40, 50. Charles down the sideline. I don't think I caught him Houdini yet, but that's what he is. A speed man to the five and a touchdown for Todd Griffin. And it was all speed. Touchdown, Taylor Allen! <laughs> touchdown, Ducks! This is the Oregon Spring Football Podcast. Here's your host, Chase Morgan. Hello and welcome to our fourth and final episode of the Oregon Spring Football Podcast as the Ducks have wrapped up spring practice. Last week we got updates from head coach Mark Helfrich. We heard from offensive line coach Steve Greatwood and how the big boys are doing up front. And several players told you how their spring ball experiences were, including quarterbacks Dakota Prukop and Travis Johnson, along with wide receiver Darren Carrington. This week we'll kind of recap the major storylines of the spring through the words of Jerry, Georgie, and Joey as they discussed many of the key topics we've covered during this past weekend's spring game, which the mighty Oregon team won against the Webfoots 21-20 in front of 35,000 fans at Alton Stadium. Before we get into the thoughts, though, with those guys, let's bring in a coach we haven't heard from yet, John Neal, who's in charge of a secondary that was the focal point of criticism from last year's defense, and rightly so, as it ranked third to last in the country in passing yards per game, giving up an average of 370 yards through the air per contest. So Neil, with a lot of work to do, and he met with reporters explaining how he wants to shape this unit in the spring. Probably just as a group um, that I want them to all kind of look the same. When I when they're in their stances, they're in their back pedals, when they're breaking, when they're playing, I want them all to look the same regardless of, of whatever limitations the best or the worst guy has. And so I'm seeing that, and I've been I've been relatively happy with at least that part. What what is this? Def- what are the defense backs still trying to grasp right now? Anything different than? No, I think everything. I think it's a, it's it's such a learning curve; it never ends. I wish I wish there was a a point where it ended and and everything was you know uh, Candyland. But things come up every day. I think the good news is there's there's competition. And the competition goes into the threes in a couple cases, which is something that I think we've had here for a long time and we lost last year. Um, but I think this year we have true, uh, true solid two deep plus a few more, and that, that, that's something that we have to have to, to stay successful. Talking with Chris say on Friday, he said that really no one is guaranteed a starting spot, and you talk about that depth that you guys lacked last year. Right. Did you guys know that you were going to have that kind of depth heading into the season? Well, I hope to. Yeah, I mean, I... I have guys that played and guys that have lived through some goods and bads. You know, it's not always bad. Statistically is what always comes to the front. But, you know, winning games is always what counts and experience and things like that. So, yeah, I expect it. A year ago I was probably um, expecting more and I should have. I made a mistake, no doubt, as a coach. Uh, learned from that mistake. And um, guys are a year better and um, – and, and why shouldn't they be? They better be. What are you hoping to see out of them for the spring game? Anything in specific you're looking for? Um, yeah, I want them to make every play that comes their way and make it look easy. I'm not going to go chest bump them when they do. I expect them to be good players and be able to finish. And you know, you just want to leave spring ball with the idea that guys, without a doubt, 
did get better, not for that day, but for their careers. And uh, and then that can carry over into the summertime, and and uh, then we'll have a chance to be pretty good. What have been your impressions of Fotu in the backfield? Uh, good. They've been good impressions. He's he's a play hard guy. He's tough. Um, he's a he's a much better athlete than most people know he is. Um, and uh, you know, I just got to coach him a lot. Does he fit that mold of he can kind of play any four spots? I know you like to have no, that. Not right now. You know, you want that in every guy, but that's not fair in some cases. You know, and some come guys that can do all that. I wish I had twelve of those guys, but you know, um, but he, he, I'm forcing him to do a lot of coverage stuff that he hasn't done, and regardless if it's good or bad, it's going to get better because he's actually a really good football player that can eventually do anything. He's very, it reminds me very much of Pat Chung at the same age, very much. Physically, they almost look the same size, the same uh, skill sets, same strength, same kind of toughness. Um, and Pat couldn't cover anybody when he first got here too. So by then his career, he was a pretty good football player. What about a guy like Tyree who's played a couple positions for you guys? Is, is he one of the alphas of this group? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess he's confident, and he has definitely has strong leadership characteristics. So, um, and it's important. I found that out a year ago when we were sort of lost for a while, um, moving people and changing positions. That was that was a really hard year for those reasons. And Tyree, wherever you put him, um, will compete and, and uh, have a chance to be successful. Is there a noticeable difference with you say on the field than when he wasn't last year? Like in terms of leadership or just not, not not as much as I'd like should be expected to be better in the fall um, it will be because he's played enough here that um, you know I have higher standards for him than uh, he's reached right now and when he reaches those and I think he will then I'll, I'll finally be happy you know Thank you. okay schematically coach is there any difference when you're I mean with this with this 4-3 defense the way well, that yes. your secondary plays yeah, I mean, so what's the difference the, the only difference is is um you know what's going on inside you know in the, inside the box there's a lot going on that wasn't going on last year there's a ton of movement and um it's making a big difference so um, in terms of schematically in the secondary you know most of the things are really common you know you can't they can't change that many things back there, you know. Um, how much we do certain coverages might. We're not there yet. We're still, you know, we installed a, a good amount of our defense, and now we're trying to detail it so that we can be really good at it. And it takes time to detail a lot of information. You've coached some pretty legendary secondaries in the past, players who've gone on to do really good things in the NFL. Where does this group stack up to any in years past? I know you just made like a Patrick Chung reference a moment ago. Does this group stack up to any in years past, or do you even look at it that way? I don't, not yet. I wish I could. I think that'll happen after the season, not before. I, I, I don't know. I just, I'm still trying to get these guys to play hard and uh, to understand detail and technique. So I'm not putting any, any kind of, you know, ribbons on them yet, you know.
Neil not only good when talking about X's and O's, he gets a little more philosophical here in part two with the media as he goes in-depth on his coaching style and talks about how difficult it is for coaches to adjust to new places like his peers Brady Hoke and David Yost. The last time you switched schools... And it's just like the, the move into a new town, uh, you know, kind of, kind of like what Coach Hoke and Coach yeah, Yost are well, doing right about, now. Well, I was about when I was in my 40s. <laughs> but just what's what's that process like when, I, I don't know if you were ever away from your family like they were right now. Or, Who are you what, talking about, Brady uh, and them? Brett Brady and Yost right now. What about it? Just what, what's that like as a coach? Sucks. That's how you, <laughs> Sucks. It's tough. It's tough. A lot, you know, we're not the only people that do it. People move in the professions all the time and it sucks and it, part of the deal about sometimes being the, the male that's got to move off and keep your jobs going and your wife's back home doing probably the harder stuff and that's keeping your kids and family in gear and keeping them to have some sort of normal lifestyle when you're not there and you miss out on things you miss out on life experiences sometimes some coaches are not very aware of that these guys are they're great people and I think that's why we have such a great staff. We have great people on this staff. And so we all know what it's like. You know, Brady's got an older daughter, and I, like I do, and I don't get to see them. But when you have young kids like David does, you know, he, he's missing things. And he knows that, and it's hard. You, get, you miss your kid hit his, get his first base hit, maybe? You know, you, you miss the, your daughter singing in the church choir for the first time, and you don't get to see it. You see it on Facebook. And that's not fun. It hurts, man. But that's what life's about sometimes is change and um but yeah those, they're good people so you know it's bothering them I, I would imagine with with them gone not that they went all, as it is but they probably just kind of pour themselves into this because this is what's here right now oh, they do yeah. <laughs> they do and they do it when their families are here too you know and i just always hope that there's always a perspective and that your family has to come first and you know when you put your family second no matter if you're here or if you're not you make that choice and Mark is a you know, we work for a guy that's a family man and um, as much responsibility and um, celebrity status that a head coach at this university has Mark has balanced that as well as anyone I've ever been around you know he, he, he fumigates the offices sometimes and make guys go home because you don't feel comfortable going home sometimes as a coach you know and he says hey it's time to go you've got enough that's pretty neat no, he's as big a celebrity as Jerry is. Uh, no. Yeah, right. Jerry, yeah. Jerry's got a little of everything. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a lot of good and a lot of bad. Looks like Mickey Mouse in your head. <laughs> Everybody. I'm going to go in a different direction for you, John. Go back 15, 20 years, your coaching style, the kind of person you were then in coaching. Have you changed a lot since then? I mean, your style and the well, way you coach? You know, you hope I got better. <laughs> you know. That goes I mean, without saying. I mean, uh, you know, experience is really hard to get, and you know sometimes it's tough when you're nearly 60 years old, and people think that a young coach can do it better. And I go, how? How can anyone younger do it better than someone that's been there and done it and seen the same things a hundred times? You're one, you know. So I hope in that area, you know, development, leadership, uh, motivational skills, the things that that I really believe in that change people, not just X's and O's. I think a lot of young coaches, they get excited about X's and O's because it's the first time they dealt in them, and they're fun. It's like playing chess. And I'm in the middle of the X's and O's going, hey, these X's and O's got to be able to do something, and it's hard to 
go out and play hard every day, you know, and train guys to do things at a high level. Um, and when you do, you start to see separation pretty quick, and you see the guys that have that will and the guys that don't. And when you're, you know, asking that question, what comes over and over and over and over again is playing hard, being physical, being tough, all the hard things. And that's all I know now. And maybe in the past I was more worried about, you know, a scheme here and there. But before I can get to a scheme, I'm looking at who can play hard and who's gonna, who can we win with. I mean, it's, it's the psychology of each person. You you know a lot. Well, you've seen you've seen it all. You've seen every type of kid. You know what motivates different kinds of kids and what kids have. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's a, you said it because you, you got experience too. But you, you're right. And I, it's easier as you get older to know right away that there's different ways to move people, and you can't do it the same way with every single guy. Um, there is no perfect formula, but there is only one answer and the answer is you got to be at the top of your game and it hurts to be that guy and uh, no matter how I try to get him there there's no substitute to that one thing the formula for success is is effort you know and um, I think that's probably why I always fall back to the will and they hear me say it all the time there's we call it position mastery we call it execution we call it um, be at our best when our best is needed when goes right back to will and that's what I've learned more than anything I don't get past that very often certain groups kids certain years excite you more I mean give you more energy oh yeah the ones that help us win <laughs> yeah the ones that suck yeah they take the they take the very life out of me you know what I mean it's oh yeah it's um it's like parents that have really bad kids. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh my God, every day your kid's in trouble or something and you're the parent. Um, but, you know, my year, all my years at Oregon, I've never had what I call a real disappointment. I think maybe in my first year, there was so much learning going on my very first year um, between the whole deal of being new into the staff and trying to establish whatever I brought to it, you know, and trying to get kids to do the right things at a high level and also learning a new scheme and new people that I didn't know. Probably that first year um, I did that. But since then, it's been, you know, this is a great place to be. I and mean, I'm proud to be a duck and I'm proud to be at this school and be a part of this program. So um, I'm pretty motivated every day, really. I don't really have, I don't think I've had too many bad days, really, and since I've been here. Um, you know, that makes me fall off the face of the earth or something. I don't, you know, I get pretty high, but I don't get too low. Great stuff there from John Neal. And wouldn't you know it, Jerry, Jorgie, and Joey spent quite a bit of time going over the secondary during the pregame show for the spring football game. Here are their early thoughts on a unit who will be counted on to improve during the 2016 season. We're going to talk a lot more about that defense. Been part of that defense we'll talk about, which will be fairly easy, and that's the secondary, Joey Mack. Uh, in terms of experience on this team, probably the most experienced group coming back. Yeah, you know, we always talk about how guys turn over a lot. Well, last year, in this 
at this day a year ago we were saying boy oh. that young secondary we got to see how this young secondary looks because a lot of guys that were staples of that secondary moving on and now all of a sudden the secondary is probably the at least most known commodity of the defense I, I feel like three really good corners you know in my mind and I think that that's a position or that's a position group that all of a sudden now is one of the better ones on the team and I think at that safety spot too there's a lot of experience I feel like the secondary this year has really taken on a leadership role I mean just in talking with John Neal that's kind of the way that it sounds is those guys have started to come into their own a little bit they've got more confidence I mean I remember Arian Springs last year after he made that game-ending interception against Arizona State it seemed like the whole personality of that secondary changed they had confidence had a little more swagger and they started to really shut down some pretty good teams and now that is the known group and I wonder, Georgie, with that secondary, and if the Ducks are going to play a little bit more of that aggressive, go-after-the-quarterback kind of defense, secondary is probably going to be licking their chops looking for some interceptions this season. Yeah, and they're going to be put in positions where they're going to have to play good coverage. And I think anytime you've got three good cover core corners like Oregon does, let alone the safeties play, and you get into this league where you see a lot of three wide receiver sets, you got to have three good cover guys. You don't want to be putting safeties in one-on-one situations with wide receivers. You'd better put corners on wide receivers. Well, that's what Oregon can do now. You know, mind you, if they can make sure they avoid any type of injury bug when you've got Cisse, Amadi, and Springs, three guys who played a ton of football, are very high-level football players. That's just a huge advantage when you can do that. And, yes, when you do attack at that defensive line, and sometimes with a linebacker that's coming with it where you're bringing five, those guys are going to be in a lot of one-on-one situations. So it's neat to see them develop like they have. There's a certain swagger, Jerry, and I don't know if you've noticed that in the practices, but oh, man. I have in the just yeah. the few that yeah. I've gone to is the swagger of the corners and the confidence is completely different to what we saw last year. Well, and I year. think there's a lot more depth there, too. I mean, we saw a lot of, as you mentioned, a lot of injury bugs last year, and it was a group there moving Charles Nelson. Sure, Charles Nelson was was great i mean he's he's like a cannonball hitting people with his size but a lot of that was out of necessity right moving him over to the defensive side of the ball and i feel like now there's a lot more depth at that position and that that's got to help because then all of a sudden you have a few more options that can be thrown out there and we saw that as those guys developed last year you mentioned confidence. Well, they've got more confidence, and there's a lot more of those guys that could be thrown into the mix. Yeah, the silver lining from last year's struggles in the secondary is that now they have more people with experience coming back. And John Neal said, I think a couple of days ago, one thing they have back this year is bodies to choose from and quality guys that, that they can work in. Right. He said a year ago, you know, a couple of years ago, and last year they through injuries, through guys leaving, they got to a point where they didn't have the depth to choose from. He said that we kind of gotten back to that. He said he feels really good about the depth that he has to choose from in his group this year. Yeah, and I mean, to be honest, they've got to be better. They have to be better this year because they did not play good football and didn't finish the season with their last two games in particular and the second halves of both of those games the way that you want to finish off a season. And so they have to be better this year. And Based on the fact of the guys that they're bringing back and the way that they're playing, they will be better this year. I truly believe that. So, uh, you know, returning some of these key guys at these positions where they struggled last year is going to be one of the keys to improvement.
Of course, the secondary, just one part of a defense that's switching from a 3-4 alignment to Brady Hoke's 4-3 scheme. You've heard throughout these spring football podcasts about the change and how the team is adjusting and progressing in practice as it works in the 4-3, but what exactly is the difference and how does that benefit Oregon? Jorgie does a terrific job explaining all that and more with Jerry. Well, we talked a little bit about that defense, uh, Brady Hoke, and the change to a 4-3 defense and what it means. And it means, well, obviously, 4-3 is the definition or the explanation of four down linemen, although one of those linemen may not be down. He can be up. Uh, and then and then three linebackers instead of four. Jorgie, what does it do to the defensive linemen. And then linemen are probably affected by this more, though the, the linebackers react off of it. But I've heard the line I've heard the linemen talk about how how excited they are to be have only one gap to worry about. That's the difference right there, really. I mean you're putting four guys down on the line of scrimmage. Not and not that in a three four, three defensive linemen, four linebackers. So in a three four defense you would traditionally have a nose tackle or nose guard or somebody that lined up right over the, the center. This is why they called him the nose guard because he's nose to nose with the center. Then you'd have two defensive tackles that may line up on a guard, between a guard and a tackle, and then you'd have two outside linebackers that can line up on the line of scrimmage too. Or Which they one, did sometimes. Yeah. yeah, or one, or however you wanted that 3-4 to look, you could put one up on the line of scrimmage. So it would look like a 4-3. Yeah. But the difference being the nose tackle would have the gap on each side of the center. His responsibility was two gaps. The tackles, DeForest Buckner, if he's one of them, would have a gap on each side of the man that he was lined up on. So you you basically had to take your offensive lineman head up and make a decision and hopefully don't get trapped one way or the other and have a ball have a runner coming at you. So you had two gaps you had to be responsible for, which is very difficult to do because if an offensive lineman gets you turned one way or the other, you've given up the other gap because he's sealing you one way you're out of luck on the other side. And so in this particular 4-3 type of look, you have one gap and one gap only that you can attack, which means you can attack because you know you can slip right into that gap, sometimes shoot through that gap without having to worry about, "Uh uh-oh, I got got just trapped on the right. I got that left gap too, and I can't get there, goes through the running back. So it's one of those ones where I think that 3-4 defense, for defensive linemen in particular, and sometimes those linebackers, is very difficult difficult because you have to be extremely extremely disciplined and if you make one little mistake and that ball's coming at you it can be a huge play not that you can't get gashed in the four three too sure but it's one of those ones where you can attack a single gap be very aggressive about it and then those gaps that you know again you got four defensive linemen there's there's more than four gaps the linebackers then have gaps too but they don't have to worry about two gaps. They worry about one gap, and now you can attack. And that's what's really, I think, going to be a lot more free about these guys is you don't have to think as much. You don't. You still you don't, have. You don't have to wait. I mean, there, there's a little. When you're in a three-four, you got two gaps. There's a little bit of reacting to the offensive line instead of attacking because you got to kind of wait and you see. You do. You do. Yeah. You can't just attack because if you commit. 
you've overcommitted sometimes yeah. in that in that three four. Whereas this, you can commit and go right at that gap and attack it and try to beat somebody to the spot. And that's what's going to be interesting here about how this team operates over time. I think over time you're going to see the success, but people have to give it time too. They can't expect this team to go from 115th or 120th to 40th. Brady Hoke did that before. Yeah, he did when he arrived at Michigan. But I think if you had that expectation, it's a false expectation of this defense. They're going to be better, but it's going to take time. How does it? How does it change for linebackers covering? Uh, you know, in the passing game, because it seems like in a three-four scheme, you always have linebackers that have to cover certain guys, right? I mean, does that change a little bit in this too? Well, you still will. Yeah. I mean, it depends on if you're playing zone or man. Right. Sometimes too is it's one of those ones where in a four-three, now you've got three linebackers dropping into the zones, and so sometimes you'll play different combinations of defensive back coverage in conjunction with those linebackers. But you basically still have all the zones, the curl zones, Mm -hmm. the flat zones, and the deep zones that you have to cover with the same amount of people. So it really doesn't change other than guys just have to drop into a little bit different area. And and, and that 4-3, you're still going to have one of those outside four guys on the outside. They're still going to be available to drop off and cover too. I mean, they're not totally all rush guys, right? Right, but you're still, you're going to have more of a true rush end. I think that's the other difference that I feel in the 4-3 versus the 3-4. Is in the 3-4, you don't know which linebacker that might be lining up on the line of scrimmage is coming. Whereas in this one, you're lining up four guys, and all four of those guys are coming unless you're playing prevent defense. Because you're not very much going to take that rush defensive end that formerly was a linebacker and always drop him into coverage. Because then you're only rushing three guys and dropping eight. And that's not what this defense is about. It's not about playing prevent. It's about bringing four. And that's why it's going to be interesting as we talk about some of the guys that are lined up in that position. Oftentimes we've seen Tarodney Prevo in a rush position. Right. He's still going to be doing that. Yeah. Justin Hollins now, a guy that didn't play last year but is a very, very good athletic phenom, has an opportunity to become that Deion Jordan-looking type of guy. Maybe not as tall as Deion Jordan Heck was when he played here. But you can just come on the attack like he did all the time. That's what's really neat about this defensive end situation with those guys that are athletic on the outside, just come. You know, Hollins is still 6'6", 6'7", 230, so, right. but he's got great speed for that size like Jordan did. Uh, with the, the offenses that you see in college football now, I'm wondering, uh, are the offensive line splits a little wider than they used to be in that traditional run offense, which forced teams to have to go to more of a 4-3 instead of that 3-4? Uh, with the wider splits, uh, that, that three, three-man three line had more to cover, had more area to go? Yeah, I mean, sometimes it would spread you out a little bit. I mean, Oregon would run the 4-3. They didn't just run the 3-4 exclusively every right. single down. They would run the 4-3 in certain times. But, yeah, offensive legend, the way the offenses have spread out now, it has become a lot because what they want to do is they want to put you in space. You know, you'll hear Don Pelham, the former defensive coordinator here, talk all the time. Brady Hoke will talk about it, too. Why it's become so difficult to, to defend those defenses or those offenses that run spreads like Oregon does is not only do they spread the gaps in the spaces between the offensive linemen, they spread the the, the, the tight ends and the wide receivers all over yeah. the place to create one-on-one situations. Now, if your four down guys are really good and they're better, it doesn't matter because now you're in one-on-one situations for the most part along that defensive and offensive line. You just got to be better. You just got to get there quicker. Bottom line is in these spread offenses, the ball gets out in two seconds. 
because everything is a short game. It's a tunnel screen. It's a wide screen. It's a, a quick little hitch. It's a quick little slant pattern. Yeah. Defensive linemen really don't have the opportunities to get to the quarterback like they used to unless they can shoot those gaps up front. And that's what's going to be interesting to me as to the athleticism of guys like Jalen Jelks and Henry Mondu and some of the other guys that just love to get in there and get after the quarterback. The defense has obviously been one of the main points of discussion this spring. The other, well, the quarterback position, of course. Who's starting? Dakota Prukop, Travis Johnson. Can they live up to the high expectations set by Vernon Adams and Marcus Mariota the past few years? Jerry and Jorge discussed the big question mark in the competition between Prukop and Johnson. We say the same thing every spring. It's kind of uh, anticlimactic. I mean, you, you know, you get 15 days of practice. Most fans and media don't get a chance to see him during the uh, during the practice sessions. So you see him practice against each other. They split the teams up. So you really don't know what your strength is or what your weakness is because you don't have your number ones all playing with each other. It's kind of an an odd day in, in one respect. Yeah, it is. I mean, when you when you divide the teams up and you try to get them as even as possible with. The QBs and the running backs and, and and the linemen, but that and to me that's where you kind of have to reserve judgment at times when you take offensive line, for example, or defensive line. You take an offensive line and you try to evenly divide five and five. You don't get the even division. Yeah. You don't get the true guys all playing together in rhythm at the same rhythm with Royce Freeman in the backfield and your starting quarterback and and all the. So it's it's going to be tough to really judge it today. But you know, they, I think the thing is the coaches evaluate it. This is the fifteenth practice. This is not the practice that end all be all. How you perform today or how you don't perform today in front of a crowd is what drops you from first or takes you from first to third or up the chart from third to first. It's going to be the body of work over a period of time, and this is just the 15th one. We get a chance to do a little bit more evaluating ourselves here, and, and, and these guys do want to show well. There's no doubt about it. They get their opportunity. You know, we've seen in the past, the last time we saw a quarterback competition was Marcus Mariota and Brian Ben. In 2012, I think it was. Wow. That's the last time we had a quarterback competition here. And those guys played hard, looked good, but Marcus really jumped out that particular spring practice, which was a sign of things to come. So you hope to maybe see that today. Maybe one guy does separate a little bit. But Mark Helfrich just said, at the quarterback position at least, we're not making a decision till the fall. Then I think that's a good idea because both these guys that are battling for it, Travis Johnson and Dakota Prukop, are both very evenly matched in both very good players. Dakota Prukop, 6'2", 195, a fifth-year senior, experienced uh, veteran, a very, very sharp young man. And then Travis Johnson at 6'3", close to 200, 195, 196 pounds, a redshirt freshman. He doesn't have experience as far as games go, but Jorge, he was here last year, so he got a chance to be with his teammates, knows the offense, and and is probably a little more in tune than Dakota Prukop, although Dakota being here in the spring – 
uh, has a chance to learn the offense, which Vernon Adams did not. But right now, it's pretty tough to tell which guy is is having the best spring, not because neither one of them have done very well. You know, I think it's because they're both doing a very good job. Yeah, they're both doing a good job. And at times, the defense has overwhelmed both of yes. them, including the offense. So it doesn't matter who's operating that offense. There have been challenges. There's no doubt about it. But it'll just be fun to see how those guys – how the competition progresses. It, it's really too bad, Jerry, to me, that Travis Johnson had to unfortunately have that turf toe injury of which he had surgery on and had to miss the entire fall. Uh, I think that would have been an extremely important time for him after he came in and showed some really nice signs in the spring. Yeah. Had the opportunity to compete, and, and or not compete, but, but play and learn more of the offense and potentially travel with the team in the fall. He had to give all that up, but he started right back up here in the spring. He looks good. Uh, he looks very healthy. He looks very strong. And that's what I like seeing about guys like that is you can see the body development now beginning to take place. The only thing he's lacking is playing time, like you talked about. He'll get it here in time. They both have very strong arms. Both can throw the deep ball, and they look good throwing the deep ball. They both move very well. I'm not sure that we'll have either one of those guys that has what I call escapability that Vernon Adams had. He had an innate ability to just different. feel pressure and go the right way and get away from it. Uh, and part of that was because of his height. Uh, when he came up through football as a high schooler and, and then in college at Eastern, he, he didn't have that height to be able to, to throw. So he knew that he was going to have to scramble early. And he developed that ability uh, because he had to. I don't think either one of these guys need to, to do that. I think they're going to be able to stand in there. They'll be able to see receivers easier. They're both uh, much bigger than Vernon was. So but will one or the other have that escapability? I don't know yet. Yeah, we're going to find out. I mean, they've got the ability to run. We know that. They've got the ability to, to – uh, uh, they've got the quicks to be able to get away from people. They've got a little bit more size, as you just talked about. But they're different type of players. They just – they, they are. are they are different than Vernon. Vernon was a, a guy who had – he was very quick and very elusive and had an incredible pocket feel just as to where to be and where to step and where to scramble to while keeping his eyes down the field, even at times, you know, I, I can still remember, I think it was last year, and I can't remember if it was against Oregon State or who it was, somebody has him by the back of the leg, he's getting ready, no, it was USC, I think, he was getting ready to go down and be sacked, all of a sudden he's firing it down the field to a guy complete for a first down. He just had an innate ability to do certain things that I don't think I've ever seen anybody do. These guys are different players, and people can't expect them to make those type of plays. But they are athletic. They have very good arms. They have a nice command of the offense right now. And there's no reason not to expect them to make similar type of plays in different types of situations and then play to their strengths. And I think that's the other thing that David Yost and and, uh, and Matt Lubick are doing a good job of is they recognize both of these guys' strengths. You build the offense around their strengths. You don't try to build an offense around what somebody did last year or what Marcus did the previous three years. you got to take advantage of their strengths, and that's what they're doing. Elfridge has said over and over that a decision will not be made until late into fall camp. So don't expect to hear anything anytime soon regarding the biggest question mark on this football team. Before we go, we'll close it out by hearing from a guy that quite possibly might have been done with football. Tight end 
Pharaoh Brown, after suffering a severe leg injury at Utah during the 2014 season, there were doubts to whether or not Brown would ever suit up again. Well, he's back and met with reporters to talk about the journey to get back onto the football field. Like I told Rob, uh, that was my goal coming in. Uh, I set that goal for myself and uh, with everybody in rehab staff that uh, by the end, it'd be a big thing to be able to come out and take a couple of few snaps of live scrimmage. So you hope you'll be on Saturday? Uh, yes. Coach said he thought with you it was kind of a confidence deal. It's just kind of when you're working it back. Has spring been good for you? Do you feel like you've kind of got that confidence so that now you're going to, to fall having been out there a little bit? Uh, yeah, I think uh, I got the confidence. Uh, it's never been kind of a thing mental. Just It's never been hell. My, my mentality has always been just go out and do what I do and not think about it. Uh, it's been like that the whole time. You got to look at the positive things in, the situ in every situation. So, uh, yeah, it was just basically just really big for me just getting out there doing what I'm used to doing, being uh, not being able to take those steps, like small things, for a year and a half, not taking no football snaps uh, is pretty tough. So just being able to get back into the swing of things has been very big. How comfortable do you feel now, and do you feel like you're, do you feel like you're at that point when you, when you had your injury, or do you feel like you're past that? Do you feel like you're close to it? <clears throat> I haven't really kind of looked, but every time I come out, I feel myself getting getting better, getting all my strength back, getting all my fast twitch muscles. Uh, I'm able to perform at a high level, but uh, that's just to increasing every time I get out there and play. Uh, and all my strength coming back, that still takes time. But as far as uh, the knee and everything, I can do everything. It's just getting better and fine-tuning all the small things that's going to give me that edge. Who are the keys for you? in this rehab i know a lot of the guys on the staff gals on the staff but you know what got you through that uh really just my family uh the support all the love i mean just when you feel that love that pushes a long way you know uh, every human wants to feel that you know we all kind of seek to be loved and be cared for with everybody reaching out to me and talking it just kind of pushed me through and knowing i had the support knowing i had people behind me knowing i had people looking up to me and just all the pain i went through like it's like i have to succeed and get through this you know i can't let it get the best of me after the initial shock of the injury was there a point ever at the when you said you know i it's over i can't do this uh i can't do I can't come back. Uh, no, I never uh, thought of, thought of that. My uh, my cousin actually called me the next day once I woke up and able to tell things. And she's uh, she's real big into the church back home. And she she called my mom and this was kind of right in the heat of the moment where it was like, is his leg going to be able to come back? You know, and she was like, you're going to be all right. You're going to play again. Like like just telling me her testimony. You know, so uh, I always kept that in mind and just knew I'd be all right. Like I trust my cousin and. Uh, I trust her faith and I have strong faith. So when she told me that, like, I couldn't see it at that point, but I always just had that in my head, like, I'm going to be okay, and I just went with it. Probably a dumb question, but will your family be here on Saturday? Uh, yes, I'll have a – my mom's coming out, my girlfriend, my uncle. So uh, it's a big step in a – a small step in a – you know, it's still a journey, uh, but it's a And if you had small to put in, into words your, your emotions, what would you – uh, my emotions to be able to play. I'm stoked. Uh, you guys can't tell. I'm, <laughs> I'm stoked. I, uh, I was just telling uh, Braylon and Byron them that they left because they kind of like, when you get to a scene, you're ready to leave. But then once you leave, you'd be like, ah, oh, I miss Eugene. And I'm just, uh, I got an opportunity to be again. So I'm just taking it all in, taking it all in, just uh, happy and just not taking nothing for granted. I felt I took a lot for granted 
in the past, you know, but when you get stuff taken away from you, it makes you take everything else, like the small things. So I'm just trying to take it all in and just be thankful, you know. Are you getting those sort of game day jitters with Saturday coming so close? You get to run through the tunnel in pads again for the first time in a while. Uh, yeah, I get. A, uh, I'm getting a little jitters. Hopefully, it's uh, packed out there. You know, uh, loud like 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 an Austin Saturday. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of getting the jitters. Coach Luby tried to put kind of calm me down. Like it's, it's only a spring game. We want you for the season. I know you're gonna be back on TV, but you're gonna be on TV 15 times in a couple months. So don't try to go all out in the spring game. So he's uh, trying to keep me calm, but it's gonna be good. It's gonna be a great time. A great story there about Pharaoh Brown and really looking forward to what he can do this coming season. Well, that's going to do it for the Oregon Spring Football Podcast. Hope you were able to get a lot out of the interviews from the coaches and players throughout spring practice. And I want to give a big thanks to Joey Mack, who made all that interview audio available to me and made putting these together much, much easier. Again, hope you enjoyed it, and perhaps we'll be able to do something like this again next year. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Chase Morgan. Go Ducks! You've been listening to the Oregon Spring Football Podcast on the Oregon IMG Sports Network. A special thanks to University of Oregon Athletics Director Rob Mullins. The Oregon Spring Football Podcast is an exclusive presentation of IMG, America's home for college sports.